Hi, and welcome to the Productized Podcast. If you haven't subscribed already, you can find the Productized Podcast from your favorite podcast player app, and you can subscribe from there. This is our show where we talk with productizers and innovators and cover the stories behind great product experiences and why it matters to innovators and makers like you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Productize podcast. My name is Carolina, and I'll be your host today. For the past few years, we've been doing a series of interviews with product innovators, successful makers, and entrepreneurs. Our mission is to inspire, connect, and empower more people to get into product roles and help you be a better professional. Today, I'm going to be talking with Anita Grumels, Senior Product Manager at Farfetch on the topic of Sustainable Product Management at Farfetch. If you have any questions, just leave them in the chat and we will get back to you at the end. Hi, Anita. Welcome. Where are you now and how are you? Thanks so much for having me. Um, I'm good, thank you. I hope you're well too. I'm, I'm currently in Cornwall um, in the south of the UK and typical British summertime and spring weather. It has been raining the last couple of days, so I didn't really uh, get the timing right, but I'm still happy to be here and be in the countryside. Well, you should come to Lisbon because you're having great weather. I was at the beach last weekend, just to make you a bit jealous. Um, I was at the beach too, although (laughs) I'm sure it was much colder here. Yeah, I imagine. Yeah. Nice. Um, you know, can you tell us a bit about your background and how did you get into product management? Yeah, I'd be really glad to. I started my career in customer service, so working in a contact centre while I was answering customer queries over the phone. And this gave me a really good understanding. Well, in hindsight, this is obvious, but at the time I didn't recognise that. But it gave me a great understanding of customer needs and what it's really like talking to people and really listening to them. So you can't brush over things when you've got someone on the other end of the line. Um, and obviously like this isn't a formal start in product management, but if as a product manager, uh, we believe, and I believe, that serving customer needs is the mechanism for great products, then in hindsight, this was a really great step and a step in the right direction. I was then fortunate enough to kind of ride the digital wave. So at that same company, um, I was the youngest person in the team. And so by default, I was given all the social media accounts to manage, because it was assumed that I'd be the most kind of digitally savvy, probably much to their knowledge, um, I probably wasn't. But, you know, I really leapt on that opportunity. And I think it's really important to seize those type of opportunities that are one-offs when you're given to them because you never know where they may lead. And um, obviously this is a summarised view, but I think then that was a really great springboard into working um, in e-commerce roles. So e-commerce at that time was really about maximising sales, selling and, and converting en masse. That, that was really the focus. So I know that sounds really arbitrary and, and narrow, but that's kind of where the industry and roles were at the time. However, my career and, and the industry evolved from there to kind of focus more on customer engagement. So you know, more explicitly listening to customers and then learning how to implicitly listen to those customers 
So serving them with personalised experiences, um, having dialogue with them, and regardless of their intent, so not just about selling and buying products. And I think then that evolved into what we now call product management, so end-to-end -end customer experience management, which is really what I see um, as product management. So I really see kind of layers of product management throughout my career, although it wasn't always formally stated, but always it was about solving customer needs with technology to make their lives easier. And I think that is what product management is to me. Okay. And what about your role at Farfetch? Is it also about solving customer needs? Can you tell us a bit about that and, you know, what do you like the most about it? Yeah, definitely. My, my role at Farfetch, so I'm the Senior Principal for Sustainability Products, and my role is to enable our customers and partners to think, act and choose positively and in a sustainable, in a more sustainable way. So examples could be by creating new journeys, tooling or services, or even by exposing more information to enable better choices. Um, So yes, it's definitely an amalgamation of lots of the challenges I've had throughout throughout my career. And, and I'm really fortunate to be able to focus in on what I'm the most passionate about, and that's product management and sustainability all in one role. So what, what do I like most about it? Um, I think I like a lot of things about it. You know, as I just touched on, I'm, I'm really passionate about those two areas. I love problem solving and, and I am passionate about sustainability. I think what I particularly like about it and what I like the most is that it is a challenge. You know, it's a huge, complex topic and we are genuinely trying to agitate for change. But, you know, wherever there is challenge, there is also opportunity. So I most enjoy the opportunity to be able to problem solve and, and work through these challenges. I genuinely enjoy finding better ways of doing things and creating solutions that can make lives better. I, I do think, you know, in some ways, constraints help you to be more creative. There's more, more opportunity for creativity and innovation. And, and so that that's something that I really enjoy about my current role. Okay, sounds, sounds really exciting. And, you know, talking about sustainability, where did your journey in sustainability started? Like what inspired you to, to work towards that cause? Yeah, I, th I think that's a really great question. I, I wouldn't say my sustainability journey started in my career. Um, you know, I'm really fortunate to have a role that I really enjoy now. But, you know, that, that wasn't, it wasn't, you know, my perfect job straight out of uni. I, I do think that there's, there's ways that you can work towards that. In terms of my journey in sustainability, I, I think that probably would have then started more in kind of a personal sphere. And I don't think I could precisely pinpoint that start, or maybe I could if I thought more about it, but I do think that those values have always been there. And I think really, you know, if you think about where your values come from, it's probably your family and, and you know, maybe even my mum, like she always was civically minded and she taught me that, you know, with opportunity and privilege comes responsibility. So if you can, then you should. And I recognise that um, as an individual, as part, I am part of a collective. Like I'm not just, um, I don't have what I have today 
purely based on solo effort. It's not you get out what you put in. Well, at least in my in my opinion. Um, so, like, you know, whether that be I'm part of a, I live in a country where there's a safety net or, you know, I, I live on a planet that gives me nature and I'm from a family that has given me opportunities. So I feel strongly that it, it is my responsibility to show gratitude and pay it forward. And I do feel a strong sense of civic duty to make the world a better place than when I entered it. No, I, I totally agree. You know, this sustainably the sustainable walk needs to be a collective effort. Otherwise, you know, we cannot move alone. Um, and you know, talking again about sustainability and now into the fashion industry, how sensitive do you think consumers are about sustainability in fashion? Yeah, I think um, that's a great question. I think what people get concerned about is whether it's intent or whether it's real. You know, are willing are people willing to put their money where their mouth is. And overwhelmingly we've seen through our user behaviour that customers do care about minimising their environmental impacts. We released an industry report about a month ago showing that 88% of Farfetch customers care about minimising their environmental impact and 50%. Yeah, I mean, that's great. That That's a huge proportion. And 50% say they care deeply. So our customer surveys are telling us that the feeling and the intent is there. But what I think is even more powerful is, is what their actions are telling us. So, you know, from observing the patterns from the marketplace over the last year, we've seen a huge increase. So people searching for sustainability-related terms increased year on year, and that could be um, things such as faux leather or vegan leather or Econile, which is recycled products. We saw um, the visits to the Conscious Collection grew 392% year on year, so they almost quadrupled. And Conscious Product sales grew 3.4 times faster than the marketplace average in 2020 versus 2019. So I think, you know, they're really powerful stats to reference because what it says is that not only do our customers care, They're willing to do something with those emotions and, and put feelings into action. I think, you know, what, what we saw happen last year, well, I'm still a bit so now, you know, being within a global pandemic, suddenly global issues became really localised. And I think the pandemic really crystallised our interconnectedness and, and our impact is within a global community. And I think these contextual factors, they haven't changed the way that people are thinking, but they've really accelerated um, and crystallized what's been there for a long time. And, and really that that's helped to move sustainability from the fringe to the mainstream. So our luxury shoppers globally are choosing to act more sustainably in their shopping behavior without a doubt. Okay, that's great. You know, really happy to hear that. And now from the industry perspective, how far ahead or behind do you think that the luxury fashion industry is in general in terms of sustainability? Yeah, I mean, look, I think that that's a really um, challenging question to answer because we don't externally benchmark as a whole industry but so I don't think necessarily we are ahead or behind but you know realistically there are huge opportunities um, for focus and for growth and they'll need our focus attention 
really collectively if we do want to create a better future. So we have, as, as Farfetch, as a company, we have stated publicly our sustainability goals so that we have clear internal goalposts that we can work towards as a company and we can agitate the industry towards. And I think, you know, that that's the type of response and intent that's needed for the challenge at hand that kind of clearly indicates where we want to go so that we can all work together to get there. Yeah, the, I mean, the collective effort that we were talking about, mm -hmm. that's great. And what do you think is the biggest challenge of sustainable innovation in fashion? Yeah, I mean, I, I think sustainability is a huge, complex challenge. So um, I'm probably going to choose two, if that's okay. I think, look, one of our goals is to make and help support making fashion circular. So our 2030 goal, our positively far-fetched 2030 goal, or one of them, I should say, is to be more circular than linear. And this is a huge operational challenge. So how do you universalise an approach to secondhand shopping when the stock is varied and the seller network is disparate and sometimes um, the stock comes from individuals rather than customer uh, rather than companies, I should say. And like so just looking outside of fashion, you know, we've all shopped, or most of us have probably shopped secondhand furniture. Um, like secondhand shopping outside of fashion is a huge, huge faff for customers. It's not on demand and it's not seamless the way we're used to everything being on demand. So, you know, um, now everything like taxis, or I should say Ubers, food deliveries on demand, streaming's on demand, dating's on demand, everything is frictionless, but secondhand shopping is not there yet. So, you know, there are different ways to talk about the condition of items um, and the product details and the location, and that requires kind of mental time to decipher. So, for example, if you think about shopping kind of secondhand furniture or I'm, I'm trying to think of something else that's quite common to buy secondhand. But, you know, my version of a pristine condition may be someone else's version of messy. So who's correct here? And I think that's the real challenge we have. So how can we enable two parties to talk in the same language so that that process is seamless and so that that process doesn't require time for someone to decipher what pristine means. Um, like I'll give you some non-fashion examples. I, I bought what I thought was two chairs from a secondhand um, furniture site and actually I had bought two dozen. So you can imagine when they arrived, <laughs> You know, like obviously there's a logistics issue sending back chairs. I don't even know. Like I can't even tell you how much faff that was trying to send back 10 chairs. I, I just think I had paid so much money in the shipping that I could, have, I could have kept the chairs. Anyway, like if I wasn't a super user, you know, like people aren't willing to invest that much time, even if they do want to spend um, or shop in a more circular way. And I think, um, you know, another example is some, you know, myself being a seller. So I recently listed 
one of our sofas and I think like there's only so many ways you can say that this is a two-seater sofa in green and then you know that's what I thought but still what color is the sofa green cool what color is the sofa green you know as per the pictures as per the description and, and that really when we think about what will make this seamless we need to make sure that if we're going to achieve our 2030 goals, so back to the Farfetch example now, um, shopping secondhand needs to be as luxury and as seamless as buying new and all the things that prevent it from being so, that's the solution, and that, that's our challenge to solve and essentially that that's the product roadmap. Um, I did say there was two challenges, so if you let me, I'll... I'll expand on the second because I think, to be fair, there's more than two challenges, but I couldn't pick one. So I will um, outline another because I do think it's probably relevant for the audience. Yeah, Our second goal in, in the positively far-fetched statement is enabling 100% conscious sales by 2030, and that's also a huge challenge. So I'm starting to now reflect on the huge challenge that I've got ahead of myself and getting a bit overwhelmed. But um, really when you pair that back, our intent is to make it easier for consumers to choose wisely um, by providing them the relevant information. So, you know, there is an obvious part of this and that that's kind of provide them with the information that they need to make the decisions that they want to. And so we do partner with an external agency called Good On You to help us signpost more conscious choices to those consumers. But as I said, that, that's kind of the obvious part, so exposing what happens. Um, the second and less straightforward part of this challenge is how we talk about and expose the value of an item or the value of an experience. And, and by that, I don't mean like the obvious um, value, which is the price, Obviously, we just we display the price on all items, um, but how else do we start to show value and facilitate consumers to value a more nuanced and complex view of luxury fashion? Because luxury, to me, is not reflected by a price point. It's really a reflection of the value created during artisanal craftsmanship processes. It's a reflection of the attention paid to the fabric fit and fabrication and um, the attention paid to enrich the customer's experience and their expression. So really what we want to surface is the provenance and the story of a piece and, and showcase how things can be cherished. So similarly from a like customer's point of view, beyond objectively how it was created and, and what can be valued, I think there's also kind of a subjective value creation process. So you know, we, we ideally customers are thinking like, will it enable them to express their unique style aesthetic? Will, will it be valuable to them specifically, regardless of how it's made? Will the piece offer durability and versatility within their wardrobe? Um, you know, will they be able to pass it on to their children? So these are considerations that we need to take into account and expose so that customers can make informed decisions about the value for them, not just the value of the price. Yeah, of course. You know, what you're saying right now, I think it goes along with my next question. Mm. You can do the correlation, which is, you know, 
what is Farfet's vision regarding sustainability and how, as a marketplace, what can be Farfet's role on the sustainable walk? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Again, it's a really, um, you know, huge topic. But uh, in terms of Farfetch's approach, we do have really solid goalposts. We do have a positively Farfetch vision. And by 2030, we want to be positively cleaner. Um, so to be climate positive. And actually, before I go into the four pillars, I should explain kind of the umbrella. So we've called our platform um, positively Farfetch as we desire to be the platform for positive change in the industry. And so that, that's then broken down to kind of the four pillars that help us organise our efforts. And the first is around being cleaner, so to be climate positive, and we call that positively cleaner. Our goal is to achieve net zero emissions and, and reduce our footprint, so in line with science-based targets. And we're doing this by offsetting unavoidable emissions and supporting our wider value chain in terms of um, logistics. The second is around conscious sales. So our goal is to sell 100% conscious products by 2030. And that is the pillar we call positively conscious. So what that means from a uh, reality perspective is by 2030, we want to drive all revenue from products um, that are independently recognised or certified as being better for people, the planet or animals. The third pillar is called positively circular, and that is our goal here is to be more circular than linear. So to do this, our, um, we really want to work towards selling more circular and low waste products or use of circular services than sales, made, or sales of products made in traditional and linear ways. You know, and that, that's kind of, that was referenced in some of the examples I gave prior around that the huge operational challenges we face to, to pivot our products towards that model. Huge challenges that are worth pursuing, I should add. And the fourth is positively inclusive. So that is to be a leader in conscious inclusion. And, and to do that, we're really championing diversity and inclusion, both in our workplace and in the global fashion community. So they're the kind of four pol um, four pillars. <laughs> Sorry, I was going to say four pollers, but that's not a word. Net, net podcast that's um, in the evening are a challenge for my brain, so please excuse my um, grammar. But I think, you know, they're the four pillars that help us to deliver the positively far-fetched strategy by 2030, and that's something that we're hugely dedicated to achieve. Um, the, set, the second part of the question around what's our role, so I think because a marketplace um, and as a supporter and enabler for the luxury fashion industry, I think our role really is to facilitate and enable. So whether that be through information or through technology. So for example, this could look like um, using our understanding of customer behavior because we do um, see customer behaviors in real time and their reaction to brand decisions. And I think it's our duty to share this knowledge with the brand and boutique network so that we can facilitate the, their journey towards positive change um, through, the, through the more technical aspects. So from a technical perspective, it could also mean building the tools for brands and boutiques to help them understand their decisions and what their customers are doing. 
Okay, nice. And, you know, it's very inspiring to hear those goals as someone that really cares about sustainability. Mm-hmm. It's it's inspiring to see that, you know, companies so big as, as Farfetch that is already walking and working towards that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're a senior product manager. So I would like to ask you, what should be, you know, the product manager mindset to work in sustainability? Yeah, I think um, product management for me really is... Um, it means serving user needs. So we kind of touched on this at the start, but I, I believe it's about understanding and serving user needs via great technology and on-site experiences. So if you believe that's true, which I do, then sustainability is just another design challenge to solve. Um, and so that's really, ha- in summary, you know, how I think it, product managers can approach sustainability I mean, I think what what is even worthier about tackling this cause is, you know, there are constraints and there are challenges, but does that incite more creative and innovative solutions? And I think absolutely the answer is yes. So, you know, if we take one of the examples and one of the goals, and that's to be more circular than linear by 2030, if we applied the product management mindset and work backwards, To me, that means we need to start to honour and hold space for different intent, so different, not not just purchase intent, above and beyond that. So we need to start thinking about how we serve customers as well as how we sell to them. And what, what does it look like for an item to have a continuous life? It means that it's repaired. It means that it's given a new home. It could mean that it's donated. So then when you start to ask these questions and you work back from the end state, it becomes really clear what we need to do. So these are services we do offer. Um, You can have your items of clothing um, repaired through Farfetch, through Farfetch Fix. You can donate through Farfetch Donate and sell your designer bags through Second Life, which is our resale service. So these are all services that we offer at the moment that help to make fashion more circular than linear. Um, I think another aspect of product management in sustainability and if, um, you know, product management is the angle or the career path that you do want to go down, it's it's really about, um, you know, how can you serve customers by solving their problems How can you create value for them? And and if you ask the right questions, so you're identifying the right problems to solve more than solving problems right, then I think product management is a really great career path for you. Thank you. Um, You know, you talked before about Farfetch goals in terms of, of this sustainable walk. And my question is, how do you measure your progress? How do you measure your achievement? Yeah, definitely. I think, um, so we work back from the 2030 goals. Um, so in terms of positively cleaner, it's about understanding our carbon emissions um, through science-based targets. In terms of positively conscious, really that that's understanding volume and our product mix. Um, so proportions and and pure numbers in terms of positively circular. And again, I think this is the great aspect of setting those goals because it becomes really clear how you can work back from those. We do track the number of um, 
customers we have served. I wouldn't say sell because that it doesn't fit well when you're talking about circular items and the number of low waste products that we have available, the number of services we have available, and also the number of people using those services. So I think you know, tracking back and working back from now, those clearly outlined 2030 goals is really helpful for understanding um, and working towards success. Thank you. Now, since we have some questions from the audience, let's take these last 10 minutes to go over them. Mm -hmm. So we have here the first question uh, related to the secondhand goods from Ventura, and he's asking, how does secondhand goods and luxury match? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think secondhand can be luxury. You know, I don't know why it wouldn't be. I, I you know, buy a lot of my luxury items secondhand. Uh, Farfetch has a pre-owned proposition that grew you know, significantly year on year versus, you know, 2019 throughout 2020, we saw huge growth. So more than 100% growth. And so I do think that that's a really strong artifact that showcases that secondhand can be luxury. Um, I think there's a couple of user needs that luxury consumers really look towards the secondhand space to be served from. That's one around accessibility. So luxury items at a more um, inclusive price point. The second is around uniqueness. And there's a third now which I'm kicking myself for not remembering. But the second around uniqueness is potentially that item um, is a unique style aesthetic that you won't be able to offer new. You don't want to have something, if you're a user that doesn't want to have something that someone else can potentially buy, buying secondhand and vintage is, is hugely attractive. And the third is around um, access, so accessibility, uniqueness, and I can't remember the third now, but I do think what, what I would say is that the next generation of luxury shoppers, so when we talk about Gen Z, They're hugely interested in secondhand. Yeah. And, um, you know, they don't see secondhand being different to luxury fashion. Actually, the terms are synonymous. Yeah, I, I do agree. And we have here another question also related to this topic from Isabel Novaes Machado. And she's asking, your sustainable approach is to sell goods in secondhand or rent and make sure the goods continue their circular life cycle, like addressed to a special event or jewelry. Yeah, great. I mean, we, we, I've seen that lots of the rental services at the moment, Farfetch's approach to sustainability and circularity or specifically in the circular pillar is to enable the sale of secondhand, but also for users to resell their items. So you can provide your items to us and users can also shop secondhand on Farfetch. We don't currently do rentals, no. Okay. And another question from also Isabel Novaes Machado. How is your team organized and how do you integrate UX research in your product discovery? Yeah, I think, I think that's a great question because it's really important. Uh, ideally, um, all decisions should be based on user needs. So what we, we like to do or what would kind of be the ideal process for product management 
is to understand our user needs by conducting research and that's either through um, interviews or through um, quantitative research, so surveys. And through that, we aggregate all the feedback we're getting and we kind of um, summarise that into themes or actionable themes. So if it's becoming apparent that a user need is around ease or seamlessness, then that's something that we would take into a design consideration. The next step then is to develop the how might we statements or um, design provocation that would help to solve for the customer needs. So usually we have you know a bunch of those, probably 10 to 20. And from that, the, the designers will take them into a design exploration. So usually a design sprint to understand how we can solve those user needs with, with um, considered design processes. What then happens from there is kind of the practicality. So what of these designs can we take forward into the product roadmap? And that might be through an um, impact analysis, either through est you know estimations or weighing up the both of those. And that, that's really about understanding what's going to have the most impact for the most effective use of our finite resource, which is our people. So what will have the most effort, sorry, what will have the most impact for the least effort? And that, that is how we tend to create a product roadmap. Interesting. Um, another question. I'm happy to see the audience engaging so much with us uh, from Aya. And she's asking, I wonder how you can combine sustainability and business revenue, considering that the best way of being sustainable is to consume less. How would it affect businesses whose goal is to sell the items? Yeah, look, I think that's a complex question. And to be fair, I don't think I can give that question justice. Um, I don't look into both the sides of that equation. What I would say is that it's not always true that sustainable practices don't make business sense. In fact, often we see the opposite. And so I don't see the reason um, that they can work separately. Um, what I would say though, is making money is not just determined on selling things or selling new products. You know, there are other business models available that are also sustainable um, that we can utilize to help show that sustainable business models are also profitable. So, you know, one finite example, I'm not saying this is an example for the whole company, is that, you know, repairs service, there is an ex a service or an experience. Now, that, that's not based on selling an item, that's based on repairing an item, so profitable and um, sustainable. So there are examples where the both can sit comfortably together. Uh, another question from, from Mami. What drove Farfetch to set these 2030 goals? For example, what was the catalyzer? Look, I, I would love to say I was privy um, to that process, but actually that, that's really decided in an exec and a board level. So I can't talk to the why definitively and formally. What I would say from my experience is that I see that Farfetch genuinely believes in achieving its 2030 goals um, and is really investing its focus towards getting there. So I'm really proud to work in an 
organisation that does take it so seriously. You know, it is great to see your passion, Anita. And as we are approaching the end of the interview, um, I would like to know what's on your bucket list, professionally and personally. <laughs> this is a really hard question to answer. I mean, um, I think professionally, and I think this is a bit meta, I don't have like a to-do list specifically or like a 10-year plan, which, you know, probably I'll get scolded for tomorrow. But professionally, I know that I'd love to have an impact on policy design and contribute maybe to a diplomatic organisation to change and amend the systems that govern us and the way we do things. So and in terms of sustainability, I mean, and like Ruth Bader Ginsburg is kind of really an inspiration in this space. She made small incremental changes invisibly and then kind of explicitly she got a lot of PR over time, but she was really dedicated to the cause and she took pragmatic steps to make sure that, you know, one decision wasn't going to detriment her whole cause. And, and I really take um, learnings from that. I think personally, again, I'm probably a really bad person to ask this question to. Like I don't have this kind of tick list that I want to work through. Like, and I think, you know, I actually really thought about how to answer this and, and I don't think I can answer this question like professionally. Personally, I genuinely don't think that um, I want to do anything more or like consume more and I know that's probably kind of you know the stereotype of this type of role but like I genuinely mean it you know what what I think is actually I want less I desire to kind of have a simple life and just be with the people that I love and be connected to nature and you know have a garden that I can grow my own food on so that that's the kind of stuff um, that I aspire to, but I, I understand that that's a privilege and it needs time and money. So I really want to work to there, but work to there eventually. And yeah, that, that's my dream. What about coming to Lisbon? It's not on your bucket list? Um, I'm not going to lie. I have been to Lisbon already. I just oh, haven't amazing. been there, obviously, since the pandemic. I've been to Lisbon, I think, um, three times because uh, obviously we've got an office in, in um, Portugal. So, yeah, and, and Porto. Oh, and I've been to the Algarve. So, you know, definitely keen to go there, but it, it's been ticked off the bucket list. Great. <laughs> okay, we have here uh, one, we have time for one last question from our audience. Mm -hmm. Here a question from Ventura. And he's asking, if you started now from zero as a product manager, what would be your first step? Yeah, that, that's a great question. I think if, if you're starting as a product manager, obviously, you know, ideal state, look for uh, roles where you can start as an associate product manager or even an analyst. But I think there's two really valid paths in into product management. And I think that that's kind of the quant angle. So lots of analysts or e-commerce specialists I know um, have moved into product management. The second is around customer service. So if, if you genuinely enjoy serving customers, identifying their needs and figuring out how to solve their problems, um, 
I think that there's a number of, of times that I've seen product managers come to the product management profession from kind of being on the phone or um, being an in-store customer service representative. So I think that, that they're two great options to move into product management. That, that being said, I think product management is quite broad. You know, it requires um, a problem-solving skill set and an analytical skill set. So I do think that there's multiple paths in. And I know this is kind of what everyone says, but do start with what you enjoy. Try and find at least an industry or a part of a role that, that is, is attractive to you and, and take the first step. Okay. I think that was very enlightening. And Ventura is actually one of our students from the course that we have in with Wild Code School. Mm. So it must be really exciting for him to you know learn from a senior product manager. It's also very exciting for me. Mm. And you know, Anita, thank you so much for for taking the time for today. Uh, I hope you have a great evening and the rest of the week and a great life. It was a big pleasure mm -hmm. talking to you. And thank you. we keep in touch. We also have a medium article of this podcast and will be recorded. So thank you again. And I, I hope you had a good time. Thank you.